Welcome to Saints, Sinners, and Serial Killers with New York Times bestselling authors Casey Sherman and Dave Wedge. In this episode, part one of Bad Blood, Casey Sherman's acclaimed true crime novel about freedom and death in the White Mountains. And now, Casey Sherman and Dave Wedge. May 3rd, 2003. It happened sometime late at night or early morning. Despite what must have been a deafening roar, no one heard a sound. There were no witnesses. Many had been predicting his demise for generations. Still, his death came as a shock to all those who knew him. There was no foul play involved. The cause, they said, was natural. He was 10,000 years old, after all. After millennia of standing tall, the old man is gone. The five sheets of rock which once made the signature profile gave way sometime Friday night. An unsuspecting ranger discovered the loss Saturday morning. The turnbuckles installed to reinforce the slabs remain, twisted and broken, 1,200 feet above Profile Lake. To the people of New Hampshire, the historic profile of the famed Old Man of the Mountain symbolized the Granite State's motto, Live free or die. This defiant pledge is emblazoned on the hearts of all those who call this rugged land home. It's what drew Lico Kenny's family here three generations ago. It's also what lured a police officer named Bruce McKay and a troubled ex-Marine named Greg Floyd to Franconia Notch. Franconia, New Hampshire, May 11, 2007. The lush lupines were waking from their winter slumber and the budding cone-shaped perennials were a sign that spring had finally arrived here in North Country. Lupines are the ultimate floral survivor, sprouting up each year from the harsh granite-laden soil. 24-year-old Lico Kenny also considered himself a survivor. He'd finally made it through the winter, living alone in his parents' rustic cabin just off Easton Road. Lico knew a lot about wildflowers. His name, Lico, is Hawaiian for bud, and had spent the past several weeks working for a landscape center in nearby Littleton, New Hampshire. He had told friends that he was saving money to move out west, although he had great respect for the mountains of northern New Hampshire, as he describes here. And this is the north country, too. I mean, you have to be a little bit tougher to survive when the, when the weather is this tough. I mean, you really know I me. Mean, it's not, you're not guaranteed to be a tough guy just because you live up here in the north country, but this is a really, really unique place in the world. I travel all over the world. There's jerks here, but... I find more jerks other places. When I, drive. <laughs> I don't know how. I agree. Maybe I just don't get along with people. Liko liked to drive fast. Speed was in his blood. His cousin, Olympic skier Bodie Miller, had learned to ski on nearby Cannon Mountain and was the best downhill racer in the world and a god in this small town. What a moment for the American. Finally, there is the podium atop it. Bodie Miller with gold. After a long day of back-breaking work at the local Agway, Lico Kenny hopped into his gray 1984 Toyota Celica with his co-worker and best friend Caleb McCauley in the passenger seat. Lico appeared upbeat, although he had an unnerving and unshakable feeling that he was being followed. The 45 caliber high-point semi-automatic pistol that he kept under the driver's seat helped ease his mind. Lico's dreams were simple. He wanted freedom from his enemies, both real and imagined. 
he still had not gotten over his first encounter with a Franconia police officer named Bruce McKay in 2003. Up to that point, Lika was a happy, rambunctious kid who was no better and no worse than any other young guy living in this rural town. He was a big believer in his personal freedoms and rights, and that didn't bode well when Corporal McKay approached Lico's parked car and asked him what he was doing hanging out at a local park alone. You have your driver's license handy? Yeah, why? Can I have it, please? Before. I'll explain to you why. Actually, no, I didn't hear why you need my driver's license. Because you're in a suspicious place at a suspicious time? How am I in a suspicious place by a suspicious time? You're operating a motor vehicle. You're required to produce your driver's license and your registration on request. Why? Have you I been do have reason? my driver's license, but why do I have then to... Then produce it, please. Why? For what reason? Lico Kenny refused to give the officer his ID, and things escalated from there. Neither man was willing to back down. What kind of cop are you? Do you make the rules? Do you get to do whatever you want to whoever you want and push people around because you have a badge? You're not here to Where are you from, Lico? I'm from here. I don't have to be pushed around. I don't have to be threatened because I'm waiting here. Soon, McKay's backup arrived. Sergeant Richard Ball and Officer Steve Cox joined McKay as they struggled to get Lico out of his car and in handcuffs. Lico didn't have a weapon, but he wouldn't submit. Please, please don't touch me. Look, look, I haven't done anything. Look, no, stop touching me. Please stop touching me. Not touching me. Let go of me. Let go of me. Wait, ow, my neck, I just broke a neck. Ah, you're hitting my right neck. Stop touching me. Get Let go of me. Stop resisting. What are you doing? Stop resisting. Let go of me. I'm asking for assistance. Please stop resisting. Lico was eventually subdued and thrown into the back of Bruce McKay's police car, but not before he fought back by grabbing and squeezing McKay's balls. Lico was hit with a slew of charges, including assault and attempted escape. McKay also found a marijuana pipe in his car. His parents paid his bail, and the case should have ended there. But Corporal Bruce McKay had other ideas. The officer felt violated. Lico had grabbed his manhood, and McKay would make him pay. For the next few years, McKay stayed glued to Lico Kenny. He eyed him at the grocery store and parked his squad car outside Lico's home at night with the lights off. Lico got so paranoid that he bought a gun to protect himself from the man he believed was a rogue cop. Others felt that way too. McKay's arrest record was three times that of the Franconia Police Department's other two officers. Over a 10-year period, from 1997 to 2007, Bruce McKay was involved with 22 incidents where he employed a use of force. On his personal vehicle, he carried a license plate that read, Gotcha. Lico's cousin, Bodie Miller, was also afraid of Bruce McKay. The Olympic skier was pulled over for speeding and was issued a $500 fine by the officer. Bodie was young and rich and could have easily paid it. Instead, he went to court and he told the judge, I want to get my fine reduced and I want to antagonize McKay. Officer McKay has a vendetta against me. McKay was also quick to use pepper spray at the slightest provocation 
including a police stop in 2006. That's when he pulled over Sarah Emberly, an Ithaca College student. She had an expired registration. Sarah was a good student and volunteered in the Big Sisters program. She was also a ski racer and was on the way home from a competition when McKay pulled her over. You've been drinking today? No. Been drugging today? No. Okay. Then I need you to turn off the car, roll okay. up your window. Okay. You're gonna want to secure your vehicle because you're under you're in custody, okay? What? You're in custody. How many times do I have to say it? I'm sure you've only said it once so far. Well, I've said it probably enough. Like the first encounter with Lico Kenny, things quickly spiraled out of control between Bruce McKay and the young college student. McKay could have let Emberly off with a warning, but as he told her that night, I write the rules. As she attempted to retrieve some ski equipment from the trunk of her car, McKay grabbed her with one arm and reached for a can of pepper spray with the other. Don't touch me. You're under After subduing the young woman, Bruce McKay panted heavily, his deep breaths sounding like the moment immediately after sexual release. On Friday, May 11, 2007, Corporal McKay was on routine patrol in Franconia. Lico Kenny sped by him traveling southbound on Easton Road. Lico slowed to 35 miles per hour, but it was too late. He peered in his rearview mirror and saw the blue lights of McKay's squad car flashing. He heard the siren wailing. I'll be out with New Hampshire passenger 1961215, McKay radioed, referring to Lico's license plate number. McKay knew that Lico's registration had expired the month before. This could have been seen as a minor infraction, but there were no minor infractions as far as McKay was concerned. The officer pulled Lico's car over at a clearing and asked for his license and registration. Why are you pulling me over? Lico asked. McKay didn't answer. Instead, he repeated his demand. Frustrated, Lico asked that another police officer be called to the scene to act as a witness. No, you're stuck with me, McKay declared. Lico then grabbed the stick shift, put the Toyota Celica in gear, and tore off with the tires spinning, leaving behind a deep set of tracks in the dirt. Hey Casey, like our fans who tune in here on Saints, Sinners, and Serial Killers, we're all about truth. Working on our projects, I need a boost sometimes. I love my coffee, but I'm really loving these true lifestyle drinks. Me too, Dave. There are six different flavors for every activity. They're gluten and GMO-free, 
organic, vegan, and there's no artificial sweeteners or additives. They're clean, and they contain all sorts of vitamins and nutrients, and they're damn tasty. You know, True's founder, Jack McNamara, is a former pro hockey player, and he created True because he was looking for healthy energy drinks that wouldn't make you crash. I've been loving Energy, the Orange Mango Wake Up Blend, as well as Focus, the Apple Kiwi Brain Blend. Jack and his team have scientifically engineered some game-changing beverages, and I'm working several of them into my daily routine. And I'm making them part of my lifestyle, too. True drinks for true crime fans. Go to drinktrue.com and use the code SAINTS to get 30% off your purchase. Now, back to Saints, Sinners, and Serial Killers. Hey, man, where are you going? Liko's friend and passenger, Caleb McCauley, asked frantically. Caleb, I'm just trying to get to my uncle's house so there's witnesses, Liko replied, never taking his eyes off the road. Liko needed to get to his family's camp just a few miles away, just as Ichabod Crane had to make it across that bridge near the old Dutch church to escape the headless horseman. His eyes darted from the road to the rearview mirror and back to the road again. They passed a quaint lodge where Corporal Bruce McKay's vehicle suddenly lurched forward, passing Lico Selica on the left-hand side. Bruce McKay then stopped right in the middle of the road, threw his SUV into reverse, and turned the vehicle hard to the left, boxing the Selica in. Lico Selica now sat nose-to-nose with McKay's police car. Lico stuck out his left hand out of the car and pointed ahead. I want to see my uncle, he shouted. McKay didn't oblige. Instead, he ordered Lico to back up and move his car into the dirt parking area next to a dilapidated old barn. As Lico followed these orders, Bruce McKay lost it. He began ramming Lico's vehicle with his own. McKay hit the gas pedal and his SUV jumped forward striking the grill of the Toyota Celica with his own. Both Lico and Caleb McCauley felt their heads snap back. McKay's SUV struck them again, this time with even more power. Stop pushing my car, Lico screamed. What are you doing, he shouted over and over again. Bruce McKay then jumped out of his police vehicle and rushed over to Lico's car. Lico placed his hands above the steering wheel in surrender. McKay then whipped out a can of pepper spray within inches of Lico's face and squirted it directly into the young man's eyes. Lico's head disappeared briefly in a cloud of yellowish toxic fog, scorching his eyes and lungs. The chemical proved to be too potent for McKay, who quickly turned his back on Lico to escape the fumes. As Caleb McCauley was choking, and covering his burning eyes in the passenger seat, Lico reached under his own seat, pulled out his gun, and fired several shots in the direction of the police officer. This audio was taken directly from Bruce McKay's dash cam. Officer McKay was struck by a barrage of four bullets. With his hand pressed against one of his gushing wounds, he tried to limp away to safety. Lico backed up the Celica and sped out of the parking lot in the direction of the bleeding officer. Some will argue that Lico was blinded by pepper spray, 
but others insist he had just lost his mind. Either way, Liko's next course of action was disastrous. He drove his Toyota Celica across the road and plowed into the wounded Bruce McKay. Watching this drama unfold before their eyes was a veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps named Greg Floyd. Floyd was 49 years old and living off disability checks after undergoing 16 back surgeries. He had survived a heart attack the year before. On this day, he had parked his truck on the side of the road with his son, Gregory Jr. No other vehicles had driven by, and it appeared that he and his son were the only witnesses to this burst of violence. Then he heard the gunshots. They sounded like firecrackers, rat-a-tat-tat, one after the other. Floyd saw McKay limping across the road. The officer's gun was now out of his holster and in his hand. There was a stream of blood squirting from McKay's ribs that left a trail of red dots over the gravel in the parking area. At that point, I knew I could take a chance and do something, Floyd later told police. He watched Lico's Toyota collide with Bruce McKay. Lico then turned his attention to his weapon. He was apparently trying to reload the gun and did not see Greg Floyd pick up McKay's Sig Sauer 9mm from the ground. Floyd checked to see if it had another round in the chamber. The hammer was still cocked back, so Floyd made sure that he was careful with the inspection. He opened the chamber and found it loaded with a live round. He then looked back at Lico, who appeared to be struggling with his own pistol. He was trying with both hands to unjam the gun. He got one bullet in the chamber, but the second bullet behind it wouldn't let the slide shut. Greg Floyd crept up to the Toyota silently, as he had been trained to do as a Marine. Lico didn't notice the approach, as he kept manipulating the firearm. Caleb McCauley saw the stranger walking toward them. The young man closed his eyes and ducked. He then heard the sound of shattering glass. Caleb thought he'd been shot. He'd felt the blast of air along the center of his back as the bullets flew by. He didn't feel any pain. Maybe that's because his entire body was in shock. He pulled himself up in the passenger seat and saw the stranger standing outside the car, pointing a gun directly at him. Grab the gun and get the fuck out of the car, Greg Floyd hollered. Caleb looked over at his friend Lico, who was not moving. Lico Kenny was covered in blood, his own. The forty-five caliber high point was clutched in his death grip. Grab the gun, Floyd ordered Macaulay. Caleb looked up at the stranger who had a crazed look in his eyes. Caleb was in hysterics himself, but he had to think clearly if he hoped to stay alive. Sir, if I give you this gun or if I try to touch this gun, you're going to shoot me or try to shoot me. Hearing this, Greg Floyd responded coldly. If I wanted to shoot you, you'd be goddamn dead. Coming up in part two of Bad Blood, author Casey Sherman travels to Franconia Notch to investigate the shooting and discovers that nothing is what it seems. Saints, Sinners, and Serial Killers is a joint production of Mudhouse Media and Fort Point Media. This episode is brought to you with thanks to our sponsor, Work Local in Marshfield, Massachusetts. For more on the Mudhouse Media Podcast Network, visit mudhousemedia.com. That's Mudhouse with two Ds. 
and for the latest updates on their podcasts and all of the writing and film projects of Casey Sherman and Dave Wedge, visit fortpointmedia.com.